Welcome to episode four of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod. So I'm Adam Freeman, one of your hosts, and joined by the legendary Mr. Don Carmichael. Hi, Don. Not so legendary. Yeah. He's got terrible sunburn at the moment because even at my age, I forget to put sunscreen on. (laughs) Yeah, Don's gone on his motorbike this week and completely forgotten to put sun cream on. So, you know, big shout out to everybody. Remember to use your sun cream, even in September. And that says everything about the weather we've had in the UK this week. Yeah. Anyway, so on with the topic. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and make these, um, these mini-series a little bit shorter. So we're going to aim for 20 to 25 minutes rather than the usual longer pre-sales um, in a pod podcast episode. So today we are covering sales versus pre-sales discovery. So, Don, what does that mean to you? Why do we need both sales and pre-sales discovery? Why, why bother? What does it mean to you? Um, Right. So I think in the previous podcast, we kind of introduced this, that uh, sales, th- there is a reason they're doing the discovery and they might call it qualification. They've got a sales methodology um, that says, and they're looking for things like, you know, budget timing and is there a real need there? You know, so um, I've tended to kind of say, well, I'd rather call that kind of qualification. Um, but whenever, whenever I've written about this, I'll o- always get um, some people <laughs> put on comment and say, no, no, this is so old fashioned, the way you're thinking about kind of discovery. Um, you know, the, why can't business developers also be, um, you know, doing discovery? Why do you have to segregate it in the qualification versus discovery? But, it, but essentially, I think what we're aiming for here is that there's a recognition of that. And I think we've decided to go down it, that discovery is really kind of three things, isn't it? Mm-hmm. which is the so at the lowest level which is kind of the self-service world in the uh, the uh, challenger cb the forester world that two-thirds of the buying process is actually um the buyer doing their own research and you've got to put that so they're doing the discovery it's it, this isn't you doing discovery about them this is more about them doing their own discovery about you and the solution and the insights and the challenges and the outcomes that could be there and um, so there's a job there that someone has got to create the content for them to consume and um, you can't just put a button on there that says click here if you want to schedule a demo that that's mm-hmm. kind of the, a lot of that will put a lot of people off so some of the content is you know if you think about the way inbound works and um, is it things like outreach hubspot yeah. have got these kind of defined it's like a journey you go along where pe- people are fed content and and that can't be left to um uh, marketing people it's actually they, they want um they want people like us they want uh, people who are um credible who've got the insights who can kind of like evangelize you know not just about how the technology creates business outcomes and, and value so that that's one level of um creating content in the discovery space then we go then we i think before this call adam and so we chatted about this then you write let's go right to the top level of what do you mean by discovery and in the big kind of enterprise space um, and many of us will be used to uh, perhaps that if we've got a complex product that's selling into kind of a complex buying environment, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, where it it's it's not as simple as one person could just go, yeah, I'm going to buy a few subscriptions of this. You know, yeah. there's actually a bigger impact across the business, and the way it's sold up has to be different. Then, then, you know, then you're looking at a need to do quite complex. Uh, discovery you know with all of the trying to find all of the uh, the influencers the buyers and um, uh, you know do discovery as in not just sales discovery and we'll talk by the end of this we'll have talked about what's the difference between the two so for demo discovery what are you going to demo what what is what is it how did i, I kind of summarize it and what would convince them that we can achieve the outcomes with minimal risk so therefore what do we need yeah. to show them in a demo 
Yeah. Um, and and that there's a lot to that. There's a lot of people's skills to do that. And that's where um in later in 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 later podcasts in this mini series that we've got about discovery, we will keep coming back to this because by the end we'll have talked about people like value engineers, which is that's at the ultra high end high end where they're doing things like outside in analysis, so kind of you know uh, financial justification and proper like um, uh, management consultancy level influencing. Yeah, and you think at the, and then um, there's a bit in the middle, isn't there? Yeah, and there's a bit in the middle, and I was just thinking of the two extremes as, as you were talking there, and I'm thinking at the lower level where it's a maybe a you know a point solution is I suppose not a, not a, you know it's not to discredit that at all, but it's almost like you've got a product and you're taking that to market to do a specific thing. The customer can very very quickly with um, with their level of business acumen can figure out if you're the right supplier or not. So it's almost a going into a supermarket and am I taking this product off the shelf? Yes or no. Um, but what we really should be doing at that level is supporting that customer to make those decisions, to educate the customer so they can make that decision and also helping marketing and being, being a technical support for the marketing team to maybe put value led statements on the website, ROI and proof of ROI, things like that are very, very important, but there's a lot more velocity in those deals. You know, the sales cycles are measured in days or hours rather than than weeks and months and even years and i think at the top end you can almost stomach that extra cost on the sale because if you start to consume arguments say 100 200 hours of pre-sales time on an opportunity you need to know that you're getting into an opportunity that a you're going to be competitive with um, and b that you're going to make a difference to that customer and, and meet their goals and objectives and like you say de-risk it for for everybody and so the need for discovery at the, at the top end of the spectrum is so very very different from what you're trying to do at the bottom but i think what we're trying to say here is that at all ends of the spectrum, some discovery, something is required on a yes. technical tick-in-the-box type exercise. It's just to what extreme do you do that? And even at the top end, you've then got your, your stakeholder mapping we'll get into later. You know, you would never do that, you know, influencing and mapping influencers at, at the lower end deals. You, you may do. You may come up with a persona-based approach. Um, but at, at, at the top end, you really need to understand you know, the political landscape of, of the opportunity that you're working with, which you don't necessarily need to do at the, at the lower level. So it's more about buyer enablement at the lower level as well. These kind of terms would come into it. And at yes. the top level, it's more about, well, how can we introduce maybe digital tools to accelerate and add some velocity to that sales cycle, maybe where it would have traditionally been very paper-based, very tender-based, very um, in-person meetings, Kind of going into next week in a lockdown world where maybe we can't all just gather around one physical whiteboard how do we do those it, it's a very different kind of discovery is what we're trying to say isn't it don in, indeed and at the top end we've now we're now moving into a world where we have this new terminology that there are no no longer salespeople account execs the buyer coaches wow you know because okay. they're coaching people through complex buying processes that, that they've probably never been through before i suppose that's leveraging on the trusted advisor role really isn't it to the to the extreme it's you know i'm, I'm not there to sell you I'm, I'm, I'm there to help you choose the right solution for you but you know a big proportion of that would be prepared being prepared to walk away and you know and you've got to be comfortable and that's a big part of discovery is also i think knowing when is the right time to walk away that you're not going to damage your brand or you know lead to an unhappy customer it's, it's the very fine line between i always think at the top deals you've kind of got a number of parties as a pre-sales person that i'm looking after i'm looking after the salesperson, trying to make sure that you know we are able to meet these needs and like you say de-risk it but i'm also looking after the customer and their interests as well so i almost see myself as trusted advisor to more than one person 
Um, and even, even into the product as well, you know, been having a really good feedback loop into the product so that you can feedback any, any issues that come out in discovery. So that if you've got a longer sales cycle, actually you can be open and upfront and identify them early so that by the time you get to demo, maybe you've added features to your product or you have an idea of the roadmap. So it's, it's useful on a, on many fronts I find. Absolutely. And, and remember your core responsibility as well is that, you know, we need to do some of what the salespeople are doing, but your core responsibility is the technical, can we technically do this? Mm. You know, being honest about this, what are we committing ourselves to? Um, and I try and use this term, was it, what can we, can we profitably actually achieve what they want? Because, uh, you know, a lot of the times, you know, does it need some custom development around it, you know, configuration and um, there are lots of kind of interesting <laughs> terminological little um, uh, tricks that people use. What do they actually mean by that? You know, do we customize it, configure it? Does it need a, actually a bit of code doing? Do we use some, a partner, you know, from the ecosystem? But, but essentially it's, it's kind of architect. Can we architect something that we can actually, you know, uh, low risk deliver profitably? And that is what you're responsible for. Yes, yeah. That can't be the salesperson because how do they know? That, no. that's you know that that is your job and also that's also why you've got to stick your hand up and say this is not a good fit or the where are the risks yeah and this is an, another example of where i'd lean on 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 this and i kind of say to a lot of people that the best relationship you can have as a pre-sales person is with a really really good salesperson that can coach you on on the sales mentality and that's why they are fundamentally different because the two work in harmony you know if if you've got a customer where you can meet their needs and you can meet their expectations and their corporate goals and all of the rest of it, but actually it's not economically viable for them and it's not commercially viable, then there's no point you, you getting into that. So you're relying on your salesperson and your, your, your partner in crime really to go and do very, very good, um, I suppose qualification on the, on the sales level, isn't it really? It's, it's sales discovery, it's sales evaluation, whatever you want to call it. That is that, is that deal viable from a commercial point of view? Is there something to work with? But then your salesperson is really relying on you to go, hey, don't get me into something that we can't then deliver because that's going to cause a lot of problems downstream. So it's a really good example of where sales and pre-sales have to absolutely work in harmony and have to have a, a common goal and, and kind of working towards a, um, a, you know, a, a common point in the future so that everybody gets out of that what they, what they need to and you don't end up getting into a situation that is very, very hard to recover from. Absolutely, yeah. I've heard some people, slight cliched, but I've heard some people say, you know, can we create a delighted customer? You know, mm. is, is this, can we create in three years' time a customer who is going to, we, we'll do retention, we're going to retain, mm. we're going to renew, we can have honest discussions about putting up license licenses, and can we have, you know, open discussions about expansion into yeah. other, other areas? Are they, are they going to be, you know, delighted with yeah. what we've done in three years' time? And that's so important, that customer NPS, that customer net promoter score, which is what some people will be familiar and some people won't. NPS is a really good measure of, of, of a SaaS business, you know, in terms of obviously we want retention and you do not want churn from your customer base in a, in a SaaS model. That's not what you want. But a lot of SaaS businesses will also rely on expansion as well. And whether you call that upsell, cross-sell, expansion, whatever you call it, that's a big component of the, the modern SaaS world. And so if you onboard a customer, but they aren't happy or you don't meet their goals and objectives because you didn't do your discovery right, the chances are they're not going to buy any more product from you further downstream. And so, you know, the whole cost that you put into acquiring that customer is kind of, you're always limiting yourself. You're limiting how much you can help that customer, but also how much that customer is prepared to trust you 
with future investment decisions as well. So I think, and it all goes back to really great discovery. Great discovery gives you a competitive advantage, but it also helps you to help that customer. So if you're, a lot of us get into pre-sales, not because we want to go into sales, but because we genuinely want to help people and we like working with tech and we like solving problems. If you do that, you need to find out the problems and what are the main problems so that you can solve them. And so, you know, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I prefer the demonstrating. I kind of do the evaluation because I need to do it, but I really do enjoy the demonstrating part. I've worked with people who are superb. They love the evaluation part. They love the discovery. They love the, the questioning and the, the drawing out and the visualizing and all that kind of visual thinking that you liked on um, to kind of really get to why the customer is doing this now. I suppose that's what we're trying to answer really, isn't it? So any tips then, Don? So in terms of pre-sales discovery, where would you start? Like what kind of frameworks can we use? What can we do to kind of structure the pre-sales discovery? How does it fundamentally differ away from a structure that maybe the sales guys would use? Um, well, in the uh, the LinkedIn group, we've put a post in, I think it was about a week ago by um, someone we both know and admire, um, yeah. kind of Darren Mason, who actually looks at a, st a fairly standard sales methodology that that's also used as a qualification gate step uh, called MEDIC. There, there's some variations on that. Salesforce use MedPIC, mm -hmm. and it, there's there's other variations on it. Um, and he's quite, you know, a great article because it kind of goes, well, that's what salespeople use, but we have a very strong role at every step, you know, uh, M, you know, metrics, economic buyer, uh, decision criteria, decision process, identify the pain champion um, or competitors, different, different people have different mm -hmm. interpretations of what the C stands for. And, you know, we have input into that and I would encourage people to go and check out um, that, um, that posting, not now, later. Yeah, after you finish listening to the podcast. After yeah, you've exactly, finished yeah. listening to this, yeah. But after no, it's a super, listening, yeah. superb so, article, isn't it? Yeah, so, um, but, but we is, you know, what we're doing is different from kind of sales and, and because we're coming into this as, you know, from a technical role where, you know, trying to build trust, trying to build the, this terrible term, trusted advisor. Um, <laughs> I think we've talked about this before. Yeah. You know, I've met people who had it on their business card and I was aghast. Oh, wow that okay. because it was like well how can you how can you call yourself that it's for it's for the client to be, to believe that and for them to interpret you know i trust this person yeah um, and that's actually one of the things i really love about the role is gaining the trust of clients mm -hmm. you know because they're taking on a huge amount of risk and you know the trust that you can build between them and they trust in your advice you know of what the future is going to look like and the journey to get towards that and you know, that's fantastic you know and the demonstration the performance bit of it yes some people don't enjoy that as much as the building rapport people the thing that happens before and um, because there's so much pressure you know it's this performance thing demonstrations isn't it even doesn't matter whether totally. whether it's in person or or kind of virtual you, you know uh, there's a performance element to it and yeah some people it's i think it's the pressure part of it that yes you know, they're not keen on and i can i can get that i have a different view of that because um being a musician and i, I find this so uh, when i talk to a lot of pre-sales people find out there's actually quite a lot of people who um uh, can musicians or kind of um, do amateur dramatics have, have yeah actors lots of actors yeah there is yeah and um they actually that's the bit they enjoy the most that that kind of pressure and yeah. adrenaline rush I think I've met a few comedians as well. Maybe oh, yeah, they weren't yeah, yeah. intentionally, but they were definitely funny, funny, funny people. So. True enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, so um, 
yes yeah, so the high end we talk again you know because this is a series we're going to keep coming back to that because there's different angles yes. on this what goes on at the highest level when you when we're talking about discovery um, and it, and the and when you know we're also talking now about the lowest level and you know in articles i've written before you know people have turned around and said well hold on a minute what business developers how why are you saying that they're not doing discovery and and it's mm-hmm. this is all to do with in, interpretation reinterpretation of I, what's the difference between qualification and discovery and and i think for a lot of people i i understand that you know that that's it it's it's kind of it's quite fluid Oh, what, yeah. that, what yeah. that actually means for you so but also by the way we've talked about the high end and the kind of lowest end we probably as well need to speak uh, spend some time just talking about what fits in the middle because that's a really interesting world it, and it's an emerging world isn't it it's something mm. that maybe if we'd have done this episode what two or three years ago we maybe wouldn't have picked up on as much as we would now i think it's definitely emerging that that middle ground and for, for people that maybe aren't aren't clear on that, there's a lot of SaaS kind of these SaaS startups have grown up a little bit um, um, and I mean by that in terms of product maturity and industry maturity and all the rest of it. And they've, they've reached a place where they're not doing the big, full-fat enterprise heavy shifting where they expect you to do multiple face-to-face meetings and you know run a, run a structured process um, in that way. And they're also expecting more than self-service on the website, enter credit card details and buy now. There is a middle ground, isn't there, Don? Yeah, um, so companies like um, SAP and Oracle have actually been doing this uh, probably quite a few years because they identified this, I think, quite early on. And and they would do things, they would say things like, let's say, um, anything less than 300K mm. or particular product sets that, yes. that lend themselves more to being sold remotely and virtually. They, they marshal all of that in, and they might call it something like general business or they might say that this is called um, Oracle, call it Oracle Digital. Um, yeah. it's, it's an inside sales team. Um, mm. So you've got, so it's all done virtually. And it, what's really interesting is so, you know, these people have built skills over quite a few years of how to do all this and it fits so well into, you know, yeah. what happened in COVID-19. You know, they, they were well ahead of the curve. The only, the only issue they had was for them, everything was set up to do in the office. Yeah. And they basically had to replicate the technology that they had in the, the environment and the workflow and do it from home. So that, that part of it was tough for them. Mm. But how you do it virtually, they already mastered that, that yeah. completely. You know, they, these people are using, um, using video as part of in, you know, inbound and BDR work. have been doing that you know, for quite a few years now. So what, what, so what they do is um, there's... Um, it's a lot of digital, so it's a lot of inbound stuff, but it's at a level where people are not going to buy it themselves. You know, it's not, it's not a self-service, it's a level higher than that, but the cost of sale, it means that um, you have to kind of do use this kind of virtual digital um, environment. You can't dedicate loads to people like you can in the big enterprise area. And, yeah. and for companies who are kind of growing and you've got, you know, you're selling complex environments, selling complex solutions, you're going to have to meet this at some point of how you're going to split this in half because you can't, you're going to reach a point where you, the cost of sale means that you cannot possibly um, you know, uh, provide the same services you do to kind of large enterprise deals mm-hmm. to kind of these these smaller ones. So what they do, so what they actually do then is that. Um, oh, and also by the way, they tend to have very high ratios. So they, they might have you know like one pre-sales person to let's say fifteen yeah. salespeople, and, and it could yeah. be even higher than that because the the, the pre-sales people aren't being the salespeople can do you know their own first demo. 
Mm. You know, in fact, the BDRs can do their own first demo. The pre-sales people are coming along perhaps later in the process and, you know, uh, moving it as we kind of move the velocity towards kind of closing. Yeah. Might, might come in then. But, um, and it, it is slightly different in different cultures, whether it's 100% virtual, because yeah. the um, if you go to... Um, uh, some Arab countries, because you know commerce is done face to face, there's less stuff happening virtually. But that, that's like a side issue; you just have to yeah. take that into account as well. And so, what they're doing is let the discovery for a pre-sales person. Then, let's say an inside sales thing, it's like you might have, let's say, right, we're going to do some discovery. It's worth doing it on this this account, and you know, it's not just going to be like persona driven. We're actually going to ask some questions, and they might be given an hour to do it, yeah, to prep and do it, and for them. And that's where they have to do things like they've got pre-built, let's say, like a mind map that's already yes. built the major, you know, persona insights, and and actually it's already got you know the question types of questions they want to ask, um, already built into the mind map, and they don't hide it from the client. They actually no. share their screen and say, look, this is the kind of thing we'd like to capture, and um, can we fill it in together? Like a collaborative document, then, and I think a big part of that being able to do that is making sure that your your digital pre-sales team or whatever you want to call that role is talking to the right person at the organization. Mm -hmm. And that's where you go back to needing elements of stakeholder mapping and the salesperson mm -hmm. actually being a little bit more educated on the product in that world there is a big component of that because yes. they can do some of the qualification. They can kind of identify the roles and responsibility of that organization as in what's best to talk to. Cause you need to, you need to accelerate and add velocity to that sales cycle in that model. You can't, demonstrate to someone who then goes yeah that's great but i need my boss to see it well you need to yeah. talk to the boss you need you need to do that fast you need to accelerate that sales cycle um so I, i'm fully on board with that and i think the sales guys this is where you get into almost the realms of enabling the sales team sales enablement mm -hmm. you know in whatever or whatever guys you do that the pre-sales have a, a level of responsibility in that arena to educate the sales guys to almost do part of the discovery up front as well. And that's where and they have to, yeah. it, it has to, to make that work, doesn't it? But by the way, just like a little 30 second aside thing. One of the interesting things I found a couple of years ago was that I, I assumed or every, when I'd met, when you talk about sales enablement, it's kind of like a team could be part of um, learning and development. It could be, you know, it's part of sales, or whatever. It's, it's like a team of people and they kind of train salespeople on board them. Mm. You know, here's our methodology we use, this is how we do it. They might do um, things like zero to 60 days. You know, we mm. kind of support you building all the, the kind of tools and skills that you need and then off you go and then do it. What, what was interesting a couple of years ago, I started to discover teams where uh, sales enablement is, is actually, it does that, but it's also the pre-sales team. And mm. it's also the sales ops team. And I was like, well, what's going on here then? And in their interpretation, sales enablement is basically... All of the people, uh, processes, workflows, content, yeah. everything that supports the sales process. And I was like, rah, get that. I understand yeah. that. Yeah. Well, I would always see it that way. So I, I think in terms of something, one of my um, takeaways from it would be digital playbooks is something that I've got in the back of my head is in that middle ground, actually. How do you create a playbook that the salesperson can take and run with and maybe execute video content or execute discovery questionnaires or you can almost channel the direction of the questioning and the discovery without necessarily needing to be there um so that kind of you're arming the sales team with 
the documentation and the tools to do really good discovery without you necessarily having to manage that discovery. And that's where we talk about, you know, sitting in the middle of, of, of the two, it very much depends, but there's no reason you can't do that on some of the larger deals. And there's no reason that if the smaller deals or I say less complex deals need an element of that as well, it could be even a customer facing checklist that they do themselves. So for me that, I mean, we've kind of touched on a number of areas here and this, this shows just, how wide the pre-sales role has grown mm. over the last few years. It used to be turn up with your mouse and your PC and yeah. plug into a projector mm. or a TV and demonstrate. And that was your, that was your role. Yeah. And now it's, it's harder to, maybe first yeah. of all, show you how yeah. the navigation works and the mm. UI widgets. And now let me just follow if uh, let's look at menu number one, item number one and then show you what that is and show you what the field sizes are yeah um, oh look at this field size it's it's got it's you know character 15 it used to be only be eight you know last year wow like, like feature like enhancement interest yeah real value that. add feature enhancement there. <laughs> it's like whoa you know that's you professional that. level in manufacturing that kind of thing's really important anyone that's worked in manufacturing will understand field length and character limitations are a huge huge thing in in manufacturing that's when you turn up, <laughs> turn up to someone and they've got an 80 character part code and you're kind of like how do you deal with that so exactly. um yeah so danger of, of going off topic here but i think mm. just to kind of recap and and kind of um summarize where we're at then so we basically what, what we're saying bombshell there is a need for pre-sales discovery and you should understand why and i think everyone would agree with that but just just reevaluating actually how are you working what's overlapping between the sales discovery the pre-sales discovery and how are you as a pre-sales person helping your sales counterpart to do better discovery which in turn helps you i think that's always worth a thought on and also like i said the the article on medic that that don highlighted have a read of that because some of the some of the topics and some of the things in there are really really worth embracing i feel so anything else you'd like to add don yes so um uh, so what what i wouldn't want at the end of this is uh, to the same thing that happened to me a couple of years ago when i wrote on this which is a lot of sales people go oh, it's so old-fashioned you know of course bdrs can do uh, discovery so what what we're not saying yeah well, if I understand that it's this discovery. There's a, there's kind of there's a lot going on in it, and discovery, like you know, discovering the fact that there is a need. You know, be, what a BDR is doing. You know, there is a need and there is timing. Okay, yeah, but if you that's discovery, I get that. Okay, let's, that's discovery. But for a pre-sales person, if you're then setting them up for a demo, they need an awful lot more than that. Yeah. So it's not you know. So you can't just turn around to pre-sales person when they say, "Well, you know, can I get access to do some discovery?" And you turn around and say, "No, I don't. I don't think so. I think I've already captured what the need is." That that's not good enough. That's not fair. No. That's not fair because you know what we need to find. Um, you know, I'd try and simplify uh, discovery right down to is kind of what are the corporate goals? They connect to key business requirements. Underneath that, then there, there are uh, kind of metrics and outcomes, which is how do you measure what what's wrong at the moment and where it needs to go. You know, how do you know what success is? And then beneath that, finally, are um, kind of techni the technical challenges or what we don't call mm. pains. You know, it, it really is. If you think about it like that, it doesn't need to be any more difficult than that. No. And, and you, you don't need a big, long uh, questionnaire, you know, 60 questions that you have to work your way through because you, you, you just, people won't let you do that anymore. No. It's, it's really just have a guided conversation and know what you're trying to get out of it. Um, and but you know but allow people to explain it in the way they want to because they will give you the language 
that they use and that's the things that you replay back to them and say this person said it in this way if i replay that back to you you know there's all kinds of was it nlp neuro linguistic yeah. programming mirroring there's, a, there's there's some deep psychological you know things why that really works mm. but i think yeah one of the things i'm taking away from today is that as a takeaway is that kind of part build uh, mind map i think that's a really really good takeaway a really good tool to say we show the industry we know the industry we know the challenges we solve and we're prepared to put those down on paper in anticipation of meeting you because we understand and other customers and what they've done and, and it opens conversation i think that's a really nice way of starting that kind of middle ground discovery i, I like that one Don. i like that one so, a little shout out where we're on here if he's listening phil wood so you know, you know, Phil Woody. When I met him at SAP, he showed me this, and I thought, I, I thought that was wonderful. Um, yeah. The idea, of, you know, how do you accelerate? Because he was challenged with that a lot of yeah. the time. He was there. How do you accelerate this in a kind of you know virtual world where you know you you it does not justify the cost of spending any longer than kind of like half an hour, an hour oh, yeah. doing discovery. And that takes us lovely into next week. So. Episode five, which is the second one in the, the kind of mini series on, on discovery, is going to be around you know discovering a lockdown world. So we now understand why we need discovery and why it differs from a sales discovery. But how do we do some of those traditional techniques in this kind of pandemic world? And God forbid it ever happens again. But what lessons can we learn and what could we even embrace to take into the new world? How can we adapt our discovery techniques that are traditional techniques to work in this kind of what we call the Zoom world, the virtual meeting world, whatever you want to do in a world where customers have got Zoom fatigue and a lot of customers, their primary use for it is going to be doing their weekly quiz. So, you know, <laughs> if I'm really honest, that's how a lot of people perceive Zoom now. It's not a business tool. It's a quiz tool. So, um, yeah, we need to... So it's how I talk to my parents, you know, <laughs> twice a week. That's, that's right. Yeah. Hey, imagine a world right. without yeah, we're it. we're all right. You are. Yeah, right. imagine yeah, if we'd it. have gone through this without it. So, um, big, big up to the guys who do all the video conferencing. But anyway... Um, I think next week we'll get into that. Um, so any questions, any feedback, direct them to myself and Don or through the podcast page. But yeah, really great episode. Thanks a lot, Don. And we'll see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adam. Cheers. See Take you. Bye. Bye.